Hello and welcome to The World Ahead on Economist Radio. I'm Tom Standage, Deputy Editor at The Economist. In this future-gazing podcast series, we consider provocative prophecies and speculative scenarios to gain a different perspective on the present and help us better prepare for what might come next. Today we're looking at the year ahead for America. We'll ask some of our US correspondents for their predictions, drawing on their contributions to The Economist's future-gazing annual, The World in 2021. In particular, we'll be asking what's on the domestic policy agenda for President-elect Joe Biden, including, can the new president really heal America's deep cultural divides? I don't think either side in the culture war is about to pack up and go home. How will state-level politics influence Joe Biden's policies? Every state in America in 2021 will be looking to America's two largest states, Texas and California, to see which model works most effectively. And meanwhile, how will the Republican Party evolve in 2021? We can expect a Trumpish party, but I think, I may be wrong, not a Trump party going forward. 2020 has been one of the most difficult years in recent American history. More than 300,000 people have died of COVID-19. More than 10 million jobs have been lost. And racial grievances highlighted by the Black Lives Matter protests have been inflamed by the president's race-baiting on the campaign trail. Donald Trump's refusal to accept the election result has even tested the foundations of American democracy. But his defeat marked the end of one of the most divisive presidencies in American history. Now, a -a once-in-a-century pandemic has created the opportunity for an economic and social reset. So the big question is, will Joe Biden be able to take advantage of this opportunity? And where will he start? So his first priority is certainly going to be the pandemic in manifold ways. James Astill is The Economist's Washington bureau chief and Lexington columnist. Most obviously, on the public health side, he'll be pushing for rapid distribution of a vaccine and, in tandem with that, a great step up in public health advice. Where do you think we'll see the biggest changes from Donald Trump's administration and where do you think we'll see less of a change? We will see changes across the board, that's for sure, just tonally in terms of basic attitudes towards institutions, alliances in foreign affairs who are most deserving of of government help at home will see a diametrically opposed form of government from Joe Biden as compared to his predecessor. That said, I think just to hone that a little, in foreign affairs, there will certainly be areas of continuity. I think the, the basic posture of accepting a more competitive relationship with China And in addition, a continuation of Trump administration, pressure on Iran, even as Iran is invited to come back to the fold in negotiating uh, new terms for uh, the nuclear deal that the Trump administration withdrew from. Those will be areas of continuity. I think domestically, however, we will see pretty much an about-face shift on almost every issue. The Biden administration will will take a humane approach to illegal immigrants. Uh, On climate policy, we will see a radical change of emphasis and activity. Uh, Biden's inability to to command a strong, reliable majority in the Senate will constrain him somewhat. I don't think we'll see the expansive climate legislation that he promised on the trail, but we we will see certainly a re-establishing of science at the heart of 
public policy and we will see the scrapping of the Trump administration's efforts to, to remove some of the climate regulations that the Obama administration put in place. And we'll, we will see uh, an extension of those regulations curbing methane emissions. Um, so we'll, we'll see a great change of emphasis, staffing and policy on climate in particular. Now, can I ask you a bit about how the style of government will change as well? We've obviously seen a very sort of centralised approach under Donald Trump, where he's pretty much done everything he can himself to the extent that he's done anything. How will Joe Biden go about changing things? And what sorts of approaches, given that he's got so many problems to tackle, what sorts of mechanisms is he going to be using to to try and get progress moving on all these fronts? I think imagining the Trump administration as a great centraliser, maybe not quite to the point, in a way it was a great decentraliser because Trump was so personally incompetent, inept, ill-versed in, in any policy and his administration so dysfunctional that to a degree its sort of tendrils were allowed to work quite independently. Nobody really knew what was going on at Health and Human Services or the interior for long periods. So long as the the, the relevant um, agency heads, cabinet members could sort of avoid scandal, they were left to their own devices to a, to a great extent. What I think we will see from a Biden administration, first of all, and profoundly, is a sort of normalising of the business of government. There will be formal kind of resuscitation of the interagency process where the agencies come together, formulate policy ideas together. Those ideas get pushed up on on the security track through the National Security Council and thereafter to to the White House. I think that we will see communication of that policy process in a regular way. We can expect professionals in the White House press office who will hold regular press briefings, there will be that sort of old-style accountability and a transparency about the, the workings of the government. And this is quite important, not only because it's a sort of testament of faith in American sort of government as usual, which is very much Biden's own personal pitch to the American people, but the Biden administration, given the limits of its power on the Hill, is going to be making a sort of political case for its ideas to the American people on a, on a daily basis in order to try to pressure Republican senators in particular to support ad hoc pieces of its agenda and, and thereby piece together odd moments of bipartisanship against the sort of countervailing obstruction, which I think we can expect from Republicans on the Hill generally. It's clear that the past four years, and to some extent the eight before that under Barack Obama, have been a period of intense cultural and political polarisation in America. Since 2020's election result, American voices have been loud on the streets in both joy and anger. much fraud it's unreal we want a president that loves america every time they turn on to the news channel every time they turn on to their social media that they see black lives are getting taken in america we fight and we're going to keep fighting until this this is all laid out Increasingly, Democrats and Republicans do not just hold different views on, say, gay marriage or the appropriate level of taxation. They inhabit different universes and increasingly distrust each other. So how will Joe Biden attempt to bridge these divides? Every president says that he wants to unite the country, that he wants to be a president for all Americans. John Fassman is The Economist's Washington correspondent, who you may also know from Checks and Balance, our US politics podcast. 
Donald Trump was unusual in the extent to which he did not do that in practice, the extent to which he was a president for his own base. So I think that Biden will not go that route. The problem is, over the past four years, political polarization has become so extreme that it's going to be hard for him to do what he wants to do by reaching out. That is, he will probably face significant Republican obstructionism. You will have a significant share of Republican voters who simply don't believe he is a legitimate president, which removes an incentive for Republican elected officials to cooperate with him. So he's going to be facing that obstacle, certainly at the beginning of his presidency. So what do you think in practice he's going to try to do to heal the many divides within the United States? I think in practice, it's first going to be heavily rhetorical. You'll see a an inauguration speech that is quite different from Donald Trump's American carnage. I think he'll, he'll hold out multiple olive branches. I think in practice, you know, he is also a veteran of the Senate. He's a negotiator. He's an institutionalist. So I would expect you'll see a lot more outreach to Republicans from his administration than you saw to Democrats from the Trump administration. Whether that does any good remains to be seen, but that certainly will be his attitude. So given Joe Biden's history of reaching across the aisle, is there any chance of of that sort of bipartisan cooperation? And, And if so, where do you think it's most likely? I think there's certainly a chance. I would not give up hope entirely. I think you may see, you know, the optimistic interpretation of the end of the Trump era is that Americans will be exhausted from fighting politically. Now, I think that doesn't mean that it will end entirely, but uh, but I think you'll see a willingness for Congress to actually show it's getting something done. As for where it's likeliest to happen, there's a group of about four or five senators, liberal, Republicans, and conservative Democrats, who are likely to emerge at the fulcrum of power, especially if Democrats win the two Senate seats in Georgia. And that group includes Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and Susan Collins from Maine on the on the Republican side and Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona on the Democratic side. So those four are going to be very pivotal if we have a Senate that's, that's 50-50. In your piece in the world in 2021, you write about America's culture wars. So do you think they're going to become any less intense after Donald Trump leaves office? I don't think either side in the culture war is about to pack up and go home. I think the culture wars will remain intense. Part of the reason is that they're sort of what Donald Trump loves to fight. Now that he's no longer in office, he won't be burdened by the need to to govern. So I think you will see him as a thorn in Joe Biden's side for four years. And I think you've seen the, the culture war start to fracture the right. So, for instance, a lot of conservatives has turned against Fox News and turned toward even more conservative news sources like news like Newsmax and One American Network. Those networks profit from stoking culture war grievances, and they're not going to go away. And where do you expect the flashpoints to be in, in 2021? Is it going to be, you know, guns, abortion, race relations, all of the above? I expect all of the above. I expect it will be, first of all, Joe Biden's mask mandate. He said when he comes into office, he wants to tell Americans to mask up for 100 days. I think you will see responses to that cleave very sharply along political lines. I expect it will also be abortion. The Supreme Court now has a 6-3 conservative majority. Now, I don't think that Roe versus Wade, which is the case that found a constitutional right to an abortion, will be overturned entirely. But I do think you'll see a court that's very sympathetic to states' efforts to effectively regulate abortion out of existence. So I expect that culture war to flare up very strongly. And what can we expect to see on addressing racial injustice, and in particular on police reform? Presumably that depends to a large extent on the outcome of the Senate runoffs in Georgia. Well, the House passed an ambitious police reform bill Uh, earlier this year in the wake of George Floyd's killing. I expect if Democrats take control of the Senate that that will pass too. 
The bill outlaws chokeholds. It conditions federal funding on police departments keeping better statistics on the racial breakdown of things like traffic stops and arrests. So I expect that to pass fairly easily if Democrats hold the Senate. Criminal justice reform has pretty strong bipartisan backing, at least some parts of it do. So it's possible that passes nonetheless. I also expect to see the trend of cities and states passing police reform laws to continue. Those will do a lot of the same things that the federal bill does. You have to remember that most of the 18,000 law enforcement agencies in America are not federal. And so the federal government can use funding as an incentive to promote reform, and it can set sort of benchmarks and standards. But most police agencies are locally governed. So to that extent, the battle for police reform is really going to be a local one. More broadly, James Astall thinks Joe Biden's approach to addressing racial injustice will be more a matter of tone than legislation. I think Biden, not unlike Barack Obama, will feel that a good faith government that speaks sensitively of and well on racial issues and takes, you know, judicious but quite modest efforts to correct injustice in the policing system, for example, where they arise, can do a lot to sort of quieten the racial tensions that that have existed since the 60s um, prominently in American public life, but especially have been excited in the last year or so. Beyond that, and beyond the fact that Biden has sort of gone out of his way to pick a lot of non-white cabinet members, I don't think we will see grand initiatives. We will certainly not see anything like the sort of defund the police program outlined by the hard left. Biden's been thoroughly sceptical of those kind of exercises. And I think he will, he will appreciate that bringing the country together, which is his promise to the American people, means reassuring whites just as much as it means addressing the historic and very real burning grievances of, of non-whites. In 2019, The Economist put Texas and California on the front cover as Texafornia, arguing that these two contrasting states represented very different visions of America's future. Now, with a new president about to take office, what does this contrast tell us about the direction America is heading in? I think that contrast has become even more acute during this pandemic. Alexandra Suich-Bass is The Economist's senior correspondent for politics, technology and society and the author of the Texafornia Report. Where California, which has such a high cost of living, particularly the Bay Area, has lost some of its appeal and people, Americans are more willing to rethink where they want to live. So you see a lot of people moving to Texas um, and other states that don't have an income tax um, and are lower cost for doing business. Um, And I think in some ways, if 2020 is any sign of what the future holds, Texas is going to win out. It has been much less restrictive on how people are able to do business during the pandemic. And that's appealed to Elon Musk, who is moving a lot of his operations to Texas. You see HPE, Hewitt Packard Enterprise moving. Um, And then you see California moving to tax the highest net worth people. So you see a lot of venture capitalists and other financial types wanting to move. And I think that 
what has happened in California is in some ways a canary in the coal mine for some of the proposals that the nation has considered um, about how highly to tax the wealthy, um, how much regulation to put on business. Um, and in California, it's not playing out well right now. And that's to Texas's benefit. But if we were to judge by 2020, the future looks more like Texas than it does California. Now, Joe Biden obviously isn't from either of these states. So will he be trying to triangulate in some sense between these two contrasting visions? He will. If you look at his administration, though, it's much more California than it is Texas. So our vice president is Kamala Harris, former attorney general in California. He's nominated Xavier Becerra to run the Department of Health and Human Services, who was um, Harris's successor as attorney general. And Becerra has been very active in defending many of California's environmental regulations, gun control laws. Um, He's really been a champion of California's vision for the future. So I think the Biden administration will heavily represent the California viewpoint, but the beauty of America is that you can learn a lot from different states. It's a federalist system where every state gets to innovate and design its own vision for the life of its citizens. And I think he'd be wise to learn from some of what Texas has done, especially when it comes to the treatment of business. In your special report on Texas and California, you were contrasting them. But of course, what we saw in the 2020 election was that Texas, there was a lot of focus by the Democrats on Texas. They were really hoping to flip it which they they didn't manage to do but they they came reasonably close um what does that tell us does that mean that these two different visions of america are maybe not as different as we thought they were well the democrats hope is that they will eventually be able to take texas and once they take texas the state has so many electoral votes that it will basically guarantee a democratic victory in national elections going forward they didn't achieve that as we know but we are going to see in the years ahead 2021 there's a legislative session in Texas, um, and then we'll, we'll, of course, see national elections in the years ahead. And Texas is increasingly going to go blue. I think that leaders in Texas are going to make a point of looking to California. Um, and so part of what happens in Texas will depend on California's policies and the effectiveness of their policies, because Republicans in, this, in Texas uh, use California as a cautionary tale. And to the extent that current trends continue, we see outward migration from California in terms of American residents leaving, international residents continue to come to California, but we do see Americans leaving. And I think that every state in America in 2021 will be looking to America's two largest states, Texas and California, to see which model works most effectively. Right now, of course, all eyes are on Georgia, where the runoffs on January the 5th will determine control of the Senate, and in turn, how much the Republicans will be able to hamper Joe Biden's efforts to pass legislation. But with Donald Trump about to leave the White House, what are the prospects for the Republican Party in 2021? Here's James Astle again. I think the extraordinary, crazy performance of Trump and actually the Trump Party after the election genuinely trying to overturn the the results of a fair and well-run democratic exercise because he, they, didn't win, has left a sort of, you know, an indelible blemish on the Republican Party. Those senators that were quiescent, those many congressmen who spoke up for Trump in trying to overturn the election, in in raising doubts, calling the, uh, the election 
fraudulent. They've struck out positions that will be quite hard to row back from. The idea that Trump would lose power very quickly after losing the election, I think, has sort of gone out the window. This is a populist party, a Trumpy party, a party in which conspiracy theorists have got uh, platforms uh, from which they will continue to sound off through the Biden administration's term. Nonetheless, while I think we will see continuation of, of the sort of Trump administration's positions within the Republican Party on some issues, uber hawkishness abroad, uber hawkishness on immigration and the border, an extreme degree of polarizing hyperpartisanship, that doesn't mean that Trump himself will continue to have the whip hand on the Republican Party. He might. He might. It's certainly possible. But I think that possibility has been uh, inflated in um, many commentators' minds and, and, and writings. History doesn't really show us another example of a losing president maintaining the kind of, of, of grip on his party that is currently imagined for Trump. He will remain a, a sort of lucrative and a loud voice on the right. He may have his own show or shows on Newsmax or on uh, the One Amer American Network, these sort of hard right fringe cable channels. But that's not the same as being a lawmaking presence, a, 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 the, the president himself, who therefore demands you know, coverage of his press conferences and every announcement on, on Fox News. And I think that the reality of, of Trump as a loser who is no longer in the White House will have more of an effect than is, is currently being appreciated. I think he will be a loud, wealthy, destabilizing presence on the right, but not necessarily the, the leader of his party. And we'll have to see what changes that makes. We can expect a Trumpish party, but I think, I may be wrong, not a Trump party going forward. What happens in 2021 will depend heavily on the new administration's ability to make COVID-19 vaccines quickly and widely available. If that goes smoothly, the economy could rapidly make up its lost ground and Mr Biden's popularity will surge. But if it doesn't, the optimistic mood around the new president will quickly dissipate. So amid all this uncertainty, I asked all our guests the same question. What will America's political landscape look like this time next year? Here's John Fassman. With Donald Trump removed as a political focal point, even if he's not removed as a political force, even if he remains a kingmaker on the right, Americans are not going to have to think about him every day. And just by virtue of that, I expect the temperature to come down gradually but significantly. Alexandra Suich Bass. Right now, at the end of 2020, we see all the attention focused on national politics. And by the end of 2021, I think people's attention will be focused on state and local politics. We're going to see the effects of the coronavirus on local budgets, cities struggling with mass transit, states struggling to close their budget gaps. Um, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of disarray. And finally, James Astill. America will feel a lot better than it does now. 2020 was terrible. 2021 will be better. Um, Biden will not have convinced many of his current doubters that he's a sort of strong, decisive, creative leader. He'll be the sort of reassuring status quoist leader that the country seems to want. I think that the vaccination of a majority of Americans will lead to a rapid rebound in the economy and therefore to a country that's feeling relatively good about itself and is willing to reward Biden, the Biden administration, with some of that sort of happiness and, and goodwill. Thank you to James Astle, Alexandra Suich-Bass and John Fassman. 
And thank you for listening to The World Ahead. For more on American politics, you can check out our weekly podcast, Checks and Balance. And you can find more future-gazing analysis in our annual, The World in 2021, which is on newsstands now and available to subscribers at economist.com slash worldin and in the Economist Legacy app. I'm Tom Standage. In London, this is The Economist. 